Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Innovation is an essential part of our increasingly complex world. This cannot be more important than in governments that serve the public good. In order to innovate, there needs to be an effective and innovative learning resources that enables innovation. In this episode, I speak to the person leading innovations in learning in the Canadian government. Neil Bauer is Vice President of the Innovation and Policy Services Branch at the Canada School of Public Service. The mission of the Canada School of Public Service is to provide a broad range of learning opportunities and establish a culture of learning within the public service. Neil's career as a leader in government spans many sectors, including his role as Assistant Secretary at Treasury Board Canada, Assistant Deputy Minister at Natural Resources, and Senior Vice President at the Canada Food Inspection Agency. Thank you, Neil, for joining me today. You're welcome, Kinga. You have been a part of the transformation that the Canada School of Public Service has been going through from the very start, three years ago, and leading the Innovation and Policy Services branch. Can you give a little overview of your organization and what you do? Sure. Thank you. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Um, So yes, I do work at the Canada School of Public Service, which is like the internal university or college for the public service. So we support uh, public servants, about you know, 250,000 of them across Canada uh, to be excellent in their jobs. So we try to help them learn the basics about uh, public service and all of its manifestations, but we also try to help them be excellent, which in today's day and age means innovating, understanding emerging technologies and trends, experimenting with new approaches, learning by doing, learning lessons that resonate with their context, and ultimately applying those lessons in their practice of public service. So my branch, uh, which is Innovation and Policy Services, is a new uh, organization, as you say, about three years old. And we have a variety of uh, you know, services that we provide. One is the Digital Academy. Mm-hmm. So like other governments, we have a practice in digital and I don't like the word digital, I use the word modern, but modern government, you know, that's yes. user-centric and Absolutely. data and evidence-driven and, uh, you know, thinks about design and, and edge cases and agile and so forth. Uh, I also have a group of um, Pathfinder projects, so AI and data Pathfinder projects that are meant to kind of demonstrate the art of the possible to public servants. And then finally, we have a lot of communities that we support, like the data community or the youth network or national managers and other communities that you know, innovation happens in different vectors. And so it's great to come sometimes come at it from a community or a functional uh, approach. So that's uh, kind of my organization, not big. We are spread pretty wide across the public service. So we offer courses and like I say, practical demonstration projects in a variety of areas. Mm. And is Pathfinder's course or what does that look like? <laughs> it's, a, it's a frame of mind, Kinga. Okay. Uh, uh, pathfinding <laughs> right. means, to us, Pathfinding means uh, thinking about an emerging technology mm-hmm. or trend or approach that we think has promised to help us deal with a problem, a business problem of government, which could be a service problem or a program issue, or it could be a 
tech issue or it could be a policy issue or a science issue. So we do these pilot projects, which I guess, you know, they could be proofs of concept and prototypes or demo projects. Mm. And we call them Pathfinder projects because we're working with public servants and other departments that are really trying to apply new methods to their problems. Mm. That's really important. And it's really important to bring those new methods and discuss them and reflect on what Mm -hmm. problems they're good to solve and what they're not so great to solve and find the best solution. That's really interesting. So what or who were some of your influences in the direction you are taking with the organization and the way you're developing and designing it? Yeah, well, I mean, the Canvas School has been around for a long time. So, uh, but the branch that I'm in certainly is new and this function that I'm describing uh, Mm -hmm. is new. And I mean, the first person I I need to mention is really the deputy minister, Taiki Sarantakis, Mm -hmm. uh, who came to the school at the same time as me and really as a leader, he imbues forward thinking digital and experimentation and sort of the art and practice of excellent public service. And I would say that the branch, all of the people, and I think we have many leaders in the branch, in fact, we're a branch comprised of leaders, um, brings that with them a certain optimism that the problems and challenges the public service faces and will soon face can be best addressed through uh, experience by applying learning, by trying new things, learning from those lessons, and really having a culture and mindset of learning and experimentation uh, mm-hmm. over time. And we think that's one of the best ways to learn. And that starts with uh, a basic literacy about uh, some of these trends uh, uh, that are happening. So, um, you know, that was new for the school in the sense that this is a new branch. And in the spirit of, you know, leadership, you choose your style of leadership. Um, I think we have really taken an adaptive approach to uh, modernizing the school itself so that it's in a better position to sort of imbue these forward-looking kind of principles and being an innovator in and of itself in the way that its uh, corporate services are arranged, in the way that its learning is arranged, in the way that it um, pivoted even before COVID, you know, pivoted to uh, online synchronous and asynchronous delivery and remote work. All leaders, I think we've been uh, seeing the opportunities that are presented in the current environment to help us move forward. So we're very lucky to have an organization that has really uh, accepted the kind of adaptive changes that we've put in place and we've made real progress uh, as an organization. Mm -hmm. No, that's fantastic. I know firsthand when I was in your department that you really have already started and we're teaching Mm -hmm. and also practicing a lot Mm -hmm. of the practices that are now much more common of working from home, teaching remotely, learning remotely. And so you were already doing a lot of those things long before it was necessary. Also, as a small organization, we're pretty lucky. I mean, one of the principles of maybe innovation and maybe of digital is also trying to break down silos and also to try to combat some of the negative impacts of hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And as a small organization, that comes a lot more naturally to us. Mm. Um, but So, for example, um, one of my favorite examples right now is our virtual kiosks and virtual conference experience. So in the era okay. of covid we had a, we were lucky to have a group of um, virtual reality developers uh, that we had recently hired. They were working on some of our training design and so on. But when COVID came and we turned all of our conferences online, they've actually turned their sites onto creating a virtual experience. So you come in to our conferences, there's kind of a virtual foyer on your browser, 3D, kind of kind of navigate that. You can go to kiosks. That's like amazing. in the old days, and you can <laughs> you know look around. And that came from the staff. I mean, we we created the room. Uh, the space for them to uh, use their skills and to try something new. 
and to iterate because uh, the first one was not as successful as the next one as the mm, next one. Of course. And um, and so as a small organization, we really benefit from that kind of a culture. And so there's there's something magic about that. That's great. And what kind of opportunity did that provide individuals to be in that three dimensional space? Was it greater engagement, or how, how did people feel differently than if it were? Yeah, there's more opportunities for interactivity. So we use uh, GC Message, which is a Government of Canada messaging kind of application so that people can um, can message themselves both privately as well as uh, on a public channel uh, for the event. Uh, and then they can go to these kiosks and it gives you them a little bit more of a comfortable look and feel in the sense mm. that you feel like you're there and you can move from one part of the kiosk yes. to the next or stroll down to the next kiosk. So the user experience uh, is really good. And then, of course, we have links to um, to different content, whether it's web or video or other content that the um, you know the kiosk owner has. So that's kind of cool, yeah. and uh, it's all accessible. Uh, so we're meeting sort of our standards for for WCAG for accessibility, and of course, because it's Canada, it's all bilingual as well. So there's some good features uh, to it, and it's mobile friendly. You know, so we do the product releases and so on as we need to, and we keep iterating and improving the product. Well, that that is really important because especially when people are really missing the in-person connection yeah. and being able to connect with others, that sounds like it's really providing that opportunity, taking advantage of the technology, what technology has to offer. So that's For really sure. cool. So in terms of innovation, I mean, your branch is in, called Innovation Branch. Mm-hmm. So how do you define innovation in the government learning organization context? Well, that's a, that's a great question because, of course, the government is huge and yes. it's you know, we should not think of the government as a single mm-hmm. organization or a single approach. So I'll just say a few things about that. So first of all, we have a lot of mission-driven innovation. So many different departments have many different missions. They're trying to improve services to Canadians. They're trying to modernize uh, the way that they operate. They're trying to streamline it and make it more effective. They're trying to deal with their legacy issues as well. And so uh, there's a lot of mission-driven innovation uh, that happens. Uh, one thing I have learned maybe the hard way is we cannot jump into a big transformative change or into a boil the ocean kind of a, an approach that we should be working with business owners that have a mission that want to make improvements and really try to show them the art of the possible and then to uh, do some demonstration projects that build skills capacities for individuals and for teams. And then the scaling though needs to come from those organizations and we can help them with that, but but ultimately they need to make the decision in terms of scale. So that's a little different from other models that we've tried. So for example, we're putting in place a digital accelerator for inside government. So we're asking departments, bring us your business problems, bring us your data sources, bring us your multidisciplinary teams, talk to us about the corporate enablement of those teams, and then let's work through these problems together and see if we can come up with a great prototype uh, for you, kind of the alpha discovery phase of a problem, mm-hmm. and then help you set yourself up for success to go to beta and ultimately to production. So that's that's kind of a model, I guess, uh, if you like. But but as a school, we layer that with courses for each of the individuals to kind of level set their ability to operate in that space and to deal with some of these emerging methods. And we also are building in maturity models for the organizations and the teams as a whole and making sure that the composition of the teams is the the best it can be uh, for success. And then we're working a lot on the knowledge dissemination at the back end in terms of the lessons learned uh, for others in the public service and more fundamentally for others in the organization, the sponsor organization. Right, no, that's really good. It's a lot of partnerships and making sure that 
-hmm. the end goal is to be able to make and have an impact, but Mm -hmm. you're really working together and intertwining the learning and the practice of actually doing the work that people are trying to do. So that sounds really fantastic. I often tell them that leadership without learning is a form of tyranny. Mm, that's so, a great one. You know, you you need to learn, and that takes a certain humility on the part of the leadership. Yes. It also takes a different mindset because I think as public servants, we often want to jump to the solutions, mm. or maybe as human beings, mm. we want to jump to a solution. And you know, we really do need to romance the problem a little bit and really understand it and make sure that everybody's on the same page with with the problem, and mm. then really free ourselves from our preconceived notions of what the solution is going to look like. And I think that's one of the the secrets uh, to innovation. That's really good. That's very important. And what do you think are the misconceptions about learning innovation in government? So innovative learning, well, learning in general. I think, well, let's, let's, let's start a little bit with innovation. I mean, I, I don't think government is, is um, known for its uh, innovation necessarily, which is an unfair perception. Mm-hmm. Because in fact, innovation happens across government, twas ever thus, and right. we have some great organizations, great departments that are always innovating and have always innovated. So that's one thing I think it's important uh, to reflect on. Now, we don't always see those innovations because often government needs to think about what it will scale and some of those innovations that don't make the cut, we don't necessarily advertise the other thing I want to say is that notwithstanding what I just said, you know, government does have a lot of corporate or enterprise approaches, policies, guidelines, rules, legal frameworks, which apply across an incredibly vast enterprise. So for sure, there are going to be nooks and crannies in the organization for which those rule sets work better or worse. You know, we talk a lot about edge cases. Like I think a lot of innovation comes from those edge cases and we need to embrace those rather than dismissing them out of hand. And I think in government, we, have, we don't always have that tendency to embrace the, the edge cases the way, that we, uh, the way that we ought to. But as far as learning goes, I think we do a lot of ad hoc approaches to learning about innovation and about innovating. We could do a better job and, and we are trying to do that. And for example, experimentation, there's a, a program of activity called Experimentation Works in the government of Canada, really trying to bring more formal frameworks around how we evaluate the success or failure or the impact, I should say, in the learnings from our innovations. And so we, we could be more formal about it. I should also say that um, we have so many different experiences. We are constantly as a school trying to share those experiences across different uh, domains mm-hmm. because there's a lot of room for functional uh, innovation that can yes. apply across many different departments. Absolutely. And one of the great challenges of government organizations and creating learning for government organizations is the fact that it is a very, very diverse environment. I mean, people are working in all sorts of different sectors, uh, very, very diverse uh, type of learning that needs to address their different needs. So this raises a unique challenge in how to design learning in that Mm -hmm. kind of scenario. So what do you think is the greatest challenge in addressing this? What have you found to be the most difficult? Uh, Well, first of all, we work with folks that want to learn. You know, there's Mm -hmm. the old proverb that when the student is ready, the master will appear. I really feel it's that way with innovation learning. You cannot impose innovation on an organization uh, uh, very easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you have to work with willing subjects and, you know, the mindset of innovation is one of the very first things that needs to be in place. 
and that's working with leadership at all levels uh, to sort of imbue uh, that learning mindset. And then once people accept the need to experiment and innovate, they could be left to their own devices, but often they will reach out for allies Mm. as they should, you Mm -hmm. know. And so the way I look at the school is that we are a ready ally for a department that wants to help increase the capacity of its individuals or its teams to innovate. So really you're focusing your energies on people who want to learn and want to develop their, their knowledge in a certain field which in the end also has trickling effects, doesn't it? Because you start hearing that people are talking about it and coming to you because of what they've heard, but not necessarily when they were the first ones at the door. So that's, that's a very important concept. And in order to address the diversity of the different type of learning people need and want, how do you manage that kind of extreme? You said it's not a huge department. How do you manage that very big breadth of material that is, is being requested? Yeah, there are a few different ways. One strategy is really to think about what are the basics that people need to learn, whether it's about design or whether it is about how to use their data or how to experimental methods or other basic courses that you think all people should get. Of course, those are going to be 101s. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be really in-depth kind of courses, but by focusing some of our effort there, we get very high bang for the buck because we're reaching more people and hopefully arming them with some of the competencies, but more fundamentally, the mindset Mm -hmm. for uh, innovation in the public service. And I would also say the the pursuit of excellence generally. So that's one strategy. Uh, Another strategy is to find the willing teams to do the hands-on learning so that they really can experiment themselves Mm -hmm. and you can be a partner in that. So for example, we've just run a series of uh, behavioral insights workshops, Mm -hmm. which has a lot of problem definition uh, to it. And then a lot of uh, professional support and uh, really successful projects have come out of that. Cool behavioral insights, still very topical uh, area. I mentioned the digital accelerator that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's another strategy, which is to find teams that want to explore together as sort Mm -hmm. of as business units and really dig in together to those. I would say those are those are good methods. I, I, the last method I would say is we do have, we've arranged some departments that want to get together and we've actually got a portfolio of AI and data projects that we work on collectively. So while we might be working on, you know, Labor Canada's set of regulations to do rules as code discovery project, we have other departments along for the ride uh, who are intimately involved, uh, like the Department of Justice or any of the other regulators and they learn through that experience. They're actually involved in working on an experiment or an innovation, uh, a demo project in, in the space of another department, another regulator. Uh, mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of those examples as well, which is sort of a more of a portfolio approach to innovation, which is really intuitive for a lot of departments. That's great. And you spoke a lot about partnerships and the, the fact that you partner with different organizations in and out of the government. Yeah. So. What is the role of partnerships? What role does it play in your organization? And what is your thinking around creating partnerships? Yeah, so, so important in the innovation space not to recreate the wheel. In fact, many of the so-called innovations may not be new to the world, but they might be new to your organization or new to your domain. But that doesn't mean someone else hasn't gotten really profound experience in the area. So, you know, innovation is a team sport. In fact, I would say innovation is a league sport. You need to know all the teams that are involved. And so 
and as a function of leadership, and I'm not talking about senior leadership here, but leadership at all levels, one important function of leadership is dialogue across traditional boundaries. Like the traditional linkages will be made by any old organization, but if you really want to innovate, you really should be talking to others who are in adjacent spaces or maybe not so adjacent spaces that have ideas on what you're up to. So that's, that's one thing. So really just the cross-fertilization and not reinventing the wheel. The other one is uh, delivery partners. I mean, if you're innovating in a new area, you know, I just came off a, a conversation uh, a little while ago on quantum computing. So I'm not going to build a quantum computer, but I want public servants to understand quantum computing. So obviously mm-hmm. I need a partner who actually has experience in this case in a technology, but it might, you know, working with um, a design a faculty at a university or college, it might be, you know, working with another government or a private sector company. Mm. So um, those kind of delivery partners are also uh, really critical. And lastly, I would just say that sometimes public servants, you know, I guess they're human beings, they need to hear it from somebody else as well. And the stories that will um, kind of ignite their imagination often come from other domains. And it's when they hear about the cool stuff that's happening in another area that they really starts to pique their curiosity. So I would say that kind of spark can come from many different sources. And if you're working in a silo, then you're probably not going to be innovating very much. Yes. It's such a critical part. And also something that you have to be constantly conscious of because it's so easy in an organization to stick to your silo, as you said, and yeah. and your domain, but going across domains and across to different fields that are doing something similar or have uh, some experience in what you're trying to do. But it must be an important part of creating that as a leader in the culture because it takes yeah. effort. It takes effort to look outside, to look outside of the conversations you're having day by day and say, who, where could possibly be doing something similar? Or how can I reach out? Yeah. How do I keep in contact to know what other people are working on? Yeah, I mean, you, you say it takes effort, and but I would say it takes imagination. Mm-hmm. That in fact, it's not harder to make an unconventional call. Yeah. You know, it just takes the frame of mind to do it. And then as we get more and more mature, it's the frame of mind to empower others to do it. Mm-hmm. And that, so that they understand the guardrails of you know, wh- when you can get yourself in trouble, but, but also to understand the opportunity of just reaching out, doing that kind of cross-fertilization. If so, you build it in, into your mindset and your culture, yeah. then it becomes very, very natural. But that is definitely yeah. something that needs to be intentional. What have you and your organization as a whole learned about teaching innovation in the government context? What have you learned along this journey? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of things. Uh, So I mentioned learning by doing. Mm -hmm. So for sure, you cannot lecture someone on innovation. They have to to see it, to believe it, and they have to really do it as well uh, to learn it. So one thing we've learned is really to bring examples that are meaningful to the public servants in their contexts, which Mm -hmm. often means other governments or other government departments showing off what they've done, doing their show and tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing then is ultimately is engaging people in hands-on experience, whether it's in, you know, agile teams or whether it's in experimental methods or whether it's in uh, pilot projects and demonstrations and prototypes and so on. Mm. And the, the other one is leadership. Most of our students say, the biggest barrier to innovations in their department are, is actually leadership, uh, leadership that is uh, risk averse or that is compartmentalized or uh, that is overly hierarchical or, or controlling to waterfall of an approach. So we work a lot with leaders. And now in some of our courses, we require that the leaders, like the executives or the managers of the students, 
also participate in the course. Mm -hmm. So we're working not just with the student, but with the student's boss to make sure that the boss understands the kinds of methods that we're teaching so that there's some receptive capacity uh, for them once they go back to the workplace. They don't feel like they're alone in a sea of, you know, the status quo as they're trying to imagine uh, different features. And so what does that look like? Because that is such an important thing to do because you can't create change or implement new learning if at the top of your organization, you're being told to do it the old way. So how do you work with leadership of other groups and help them in this understanding? Yeah, so we will give, like I say, we will collect the leaders of the students and in some of our areas, and we will actually give them a course and give them a crash course mm-hmm. on, the, uh, on the principles that we're trying to teach and the culture and the competencies that we're giving to the students. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in, in some areas, we require a covenant by the leader mm-hmm. when the student comes in that the leadership agrees that the learnings are aligned with the uh, objectives of the organization. The other, uh, the other thing it looks like sometimes is taking the whole team, including the leader, so I mentioned the, uh, the digital accelerator that we're setting up at the school. In this case, the leader is part of the team. The team is there and we're teaching all of the members of the team and the leader at the same time. Mm. Uh, and we're telling them that this is not, you know, in addition to their job, this learning and this experience in an accelerator is, is their job. Yes. They're working on their problem of the day at work. They're doing it in a new way, in a digital way, and they're sprinting and it's a burst of activity. Uh, that will uh, preoccupy them for a period of time, but they're doing this together with leadership. So that's one way that we are attacking that, uh, that problem. We also, I should say, have, we have dedicated courses for senior leaders where we're teaching the very same principles and foundations that we're teaching to everybody. Mm-hmm. And we're explicitly talking to them about the barriers that leadership can create for innovation and for digital it's important to have different, different strategies and different ways of coming at yeah. it. And, and of course, some kind of new learning is not a organizational buy-in, then it's almost pointless to have individual people unless yeah. the organization as a whole says, yes, we want to learn this. It's almost worse. We've had some students that have said, I wish you didn't teach me all these cool oh, no. new approaches because when I went back to work, you know, I was a pariah. Um, those types of stories are for an educator and for a public servant are very disturbing. So that's why we, we, we really have uh, incorporated leaders more into our curriculum and thought about them more. We've incorporated coaching Mm -hmm. for teams, uh, into our uh, curriculum more. So we put a lot more emphasis in this area. Great. And along this journey that has been happening for the past three years, uh, since the department has been created, what do you wish you had known when you started? (laughs) looking back well I wish I'd known there was going to be a pandemic (laughs) 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 although that being said I don't know how much more we could have done to prepare because in fact our organization was already going digital it was already supporting remote work we were going for asynchronous and synchronous online learning as a as a school and and so forth but of course uh, that would be good Yeah, you can always look back, but I'm happy that we chose an adaptive approach, that we imbued it in culture and in mindset, and that we hired for excellence, and that we took an iterative approach, uh, not a boil the ocean kind of approach uh, to change. And I think that sits very well with our organization. And uh, so there, I wouldn't change that. I do think, though, this kind of leadership question is a ground game decision by the leadership to understand 
the culture of their organization and to make the assessment, ultimately the fundamental leadership assessment of what is the threshold for change for an organization and how do you advance a modernization or a modern approach given where the organization's at and how it's under. So I, I really think every, every organization is going to have its own path in this regard. Definitely. And you've given a lot of different insights and uh, tips, but what would be some of your top advice for a government organization or any large organization really who is trying to create innovative learning tools and approaches? What would be your advice and how to, how to make that a success? Yeah, well, a few things. One is I would say pursue excellence. Insist on excellence. So ask your leaders and all of your people to understand their fundamental mission. What are they trying to achieve? And what does excellence look like? Because if you understand and pursue excellence, you will have to innovate. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. So that's, that's number one. Number two is I would create space for risk. I say in the modern era that the, that a function of leaders is actually to take on risk. So, you know, we used to talk about risk tolerance and we used to rely on our leaders to tell us when we were out of bounds or when we were in problems or, or whether we were going to upset partners and so on. And while that's still uh, a function of leadership, more importantly, I would say is that leaders need to create the space and the appetite for risk. So when I have new mm. employees that start in my branch, I say, don't ask me about my risk tolerance level, ask me about my level of risk appetite. And so I, I think that's something that leadership needs to really carefully reflect on. And uh, you're not going to have innovation learning if you don't have innovation and you need, need to create the space for that kind of those kinds of pilots and experiments and ways forward. And actually, as an aside, I think working with a school is a great way to get cover to do that because then it's clear to everyone that you're trying to learn and that sort of de-risks it for the business uh, to be involved in, uh, in a school type environment for demonstration problems. The other thing I would say is, you know, people are bigger than their jobs. You need to support them in terms of their professional personas. And if they're gonna be innovators, there are gonna be some basic skill investments and skills and competencies that you need to allow them to make and encourage them to make and also to build their portfolio of innovation skills that cross functional areas and mm -hmm. cross silos. So in other words, having someone in one group kind of matrix managed or supporting innovations in other areas is an exceptionally good indicator that you are empowering people to bring innovations to your organization and that they're building their capacity to be innovators down the road. It's so important to, to invest in the learning, the individuals in the organization, mm -hmm. because it's definitely the way forward and how to ensure that you always have the best people. So that's, that's really fantastic. And so what's next for your organization? What's coming up? Well, uh, it's, it's an exciting space to be in. It is a great time to be a public servant, I would say, because with the explosion of data and data analytic methods, there is a huge opportunity for us to actually leverage data to bring public good. And I could give you all kinds of examples to that, but that's one area that I think is going to be exploding. Another area that's really interesting is new policy instruments. So I mentioned mm -hmm. you know, behavioral economics, but we could equally talk about X prizes or about uh, micro grants and loans or um, new approaches to science but mm. the policy instruments available to government are also exploding. Mm. Uh, and so, um, so that's really interesting. And then you've got automated decision-making and AI, which is a completely new frontier. And, and part of it is 
mind boggling. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're running experiments now where we're using uh, algorithms to do semantic analysis or natural language processing of, of, of laws in ways that weren't conceivable before and have the possibility of really improving the way that laws and regulations are administered and inspected on and, and really the way the, the legal system works uh, at its things we couldn't have dreamt of uh, mm. 10 years ago which are really commonplace now. And so I, I really think automated decision-making and, and AI or augmented intelligence uh, that is augmenting the intelligence of humans has shows so much promise. So it's an exciting time to be a public servant, but it mm-hmm. is an era of learning. It is a, mm-hmm. to be an effective public servant requires you to be a learner. Just like I believe that being a professional in any domain require today requires you to be a learner the same way that when the internet first came on the scene we all had to unlearn old ways of doing things and then learn about new areas and also be open to continuous learning because it's such a dynamic environment we are in that era now where i really believe that on all fronts we're going to have to be learning so i mentioned a few but there are many more areas and i think it is a target rich environment if you love learning and mm. if you um, are interested in continuous learning as a basis for leadership in dynamic times. Absolutely. That is really, really well put. And it cannot be overstressed how it's exciting that there's so much to learn, but it's also really important to have the right environment in which learning is made easier and smoother for the individuals, all individuals in that organization, because it's an absolute necessity to be continuously learning and to make that an effective and enjoyable practice, which, uh, which your organization is doing really, really well. So before we end, I always like to ask for recommendations of something to read or listen to, something that inspires you in this domain, something you find interesting. Well, I don't know if I, I'll cite a particular book, but what I sh- will say is that I think every public servant should have their eye on artificial intelligence. So there is all kinds of books that you can read and, and things that you can uh, research online and YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. But if you are in the business of government, and frankly, if you're in the business of business, you should understand how AI can help transform your business. Mm-hmm. So if I were placing bets on a promising area for the next 10 years, and it seems obvious to say this, but in practice, people should have a practical understanding of whether it's as simple as robotic process automation or as complex as neural nets and competitive algorithms, they should understand how their business might be impacted by augmented or artificial intelligence and machine learning. And uh, that's, what I, that's what I would recommend. Uh, that's really good. The, the other thing I have to say is, um, yeah, I've mentioned data before. And again, it's cliche to say it perhaps, but people should understand the fundamentals of their data, what data they collect, what data they generate, what data they hold. Mm -hmm. And in the government context, what data can be linked across organizations, you know, respecting privacy and anonymously linked Mm -hmm. and and so forth and and with appropriate safeguards and ethical oversight, but they should be digging into the the picture of their data if they really want to uh, transform their business. So those those are two areas I would bet on, data and augmented intelligence, yeah. Absolutely. And although they sound, it can sound very overwhelming and, 
and intimidating. But even for someone to just start Googling it and watch a few YouTube videos on it yeah. uh, to get introduced to the subject, it doesn't mean you need to now understand the intricacies of AI of or the intricacies sure. of data. Yeah, like I, I know how to use a computer, mm -hmm. but I don't understand how a computer works. I don't need exactly. to know all my logical gates and the circuit boards and everything else. It's the same thing with quantum blockchain, mm -hmm. AI, robotic process automation, and these exactly. other technologies. Yeah, I don't have to be an engineer to understand how these technologies can transform your business. In fact, uh, you know, we should all be chatting with engineers for sure, but, mm -hmm. but it's a mindset Mm -hmm. that sees opportunity and is willing to explore through conversation and experience uh, that. And I, I agree. I think if you, you, on YouTube is a great resource, tons of other free learning resources yes. online mm -hmm. uh, that uh, folks should do. And in these times of pandemic with a lot of virtual and remote work, gosh, it's so much easier to attend conferences around the world and to hear speakers around the world and to interact. So people should take advantage of that. Absolutely. Really good. Well, thank you so much, Neil. It's always a pleasure to be talking to you and thank you for your insights and wonderful tips. Right on, Kinga. Thank you very much. Thank you.